Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matt, and my wife Jordan and I um, help lead a community group here that meets at the Rodriguez house. Uh, big props to those guys. Uh, just want to read God's word with you this morning. We're going to be in Mark 10, uh, verse 1 through 12. Um, if you're using one of the Bibles we have here, it starts on page 845. If you're on like a digital thing, um, it's the ESV version if you want to read along. And so it starts off and it says, and he left and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again was his custom he taught him and Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife he answered them what did Moses command you and they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away and Jesus said to them because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. All right. Thank you, Matt. <clears throat> thank you, band, Zach and Courtney. Good, good to have you up here with us. Hey, if you're new, my name's Tanner House. I'm the, uh, the lead pastor, lead and teaching pastor here at Redeemer Church. Um, it's good to be with you. There, if you're a guest, there is a connect card. I'm just going to talk around this feedback. So uh, if it gets real bad, I'll uh, do something else. But if you're, uh, if you're a guest, there's a connect card under your chair. If you'd take a minute, fill that out. Let us know how we could serve you, connect with you, um, anything like that. And on the back side of the connect card is a spot for prayer requests. We'd love an opportunity uh, to pray for you. Mark and I are trying to commit more time this year to praying for you all as a church, praying for the needs of the church. Uh, and speaking of Mark, he is speaking at a youth retreat this weekend, so um, y'all pray for him as he's doing that. If you need a Bible, Chad's in the back. You can raise your hand. He'll bring you one. Again, we're in the ESV, and we're in Mark 10, and we're back in our Mark series after a couple of months off. And if I can just confess something before we dive in, we as a church are committed to what's known as expository preaching. That means we're going to take books of the Bible and go book by book, verse by verse, all the way through beginning to end. And so now we're back in Mark, and if I'm just real honest, this is one of those texts that uh, I'm confident gets skipped in a lot of churches, um, especially churches that aren't committed to going book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I'm not going to lie to you, I kind of just wanted to move on past it because we've been out of Mark since November, and I'm pretty confident none of you would have noticed. And the next text is Jesus loves the little children. So that would have been, uh, you know, a lot easier to preach. Uh, but also, I don't think that would have been right or honoring to the Lord or to the scriptures, and it wouldn't be serving you all completely and fully. Because as believers, I believe we should be committed to the whole counsel of God's word and not just the parts of the Bible we like. So today, 
If you haven't figured that out, we are going to be talking about divorce and, and remarriage. Um, generally, when I'm preaching narrative texts like this, uh, I like to come in during the introduction and make a couple of jokes or a couple of funny observations like a Jerry Seinfeld comedy routine. Uh, but there's not really a good way to just be like, hey, divorce and remarriage, how about it? Um, so like, I can't really ease into this. So here it is. We're going to talk about divorce. And I think it's good, and I think it's timely for our little church to do so for a few reasons. But one of the reasons, chief among them, is culturally, this is all around us. And internally, um, this is a reality that a lot of you are walking in or are currently walking in uh, or have walked in in the past. So I really only have one goal today, and I really just want to honor the Lord in what we're talking about and how we handle divorce. But within that goal... I do not want to speak any shame or guilt or condemnation over you, but I just want to be faithful to the text and then allow you to operate in the grace that is yours through Jesus. And one other thing, this is one of those moments in Scripture that it's just not as black and white as, as we'd like, right? Especially when we're discussing the issue of remarriage. And there are more learned men and women smarter than me who love Jesus and love the Bible, and who for centuries have disagreed about divorce and remarriage. So I'm going to just try to be faithful to the Word of God this morning. I'm going to present a couple of different positions on them, and then I'm going to tell you where I land. And if you disagree with me, my commitment to you is this. I'm still willing to be your pastor. I'm most certainly still willing to be your friend. And be your brother in Christ. And I'm also willing to just enter into like civil discourse with you about it. About why I land here presently. And also commit to you to not let this be a divisive issue in the church. Is that, is that cool, Dill? If you're a covenant member, can we not be divisive over this? Perfect. Um, I think we should stop here though and pray. And just ask the Lord to really focus our attention and our affections on him, and then we're going to jump into this text. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, may we see our marriages as exactly what they are, vehicles to bring you glory and honor. Lord, may your love and kindness to us propel us forward in mission to a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray that you would bind up wounds in here this morning, Lord. Whether a person is one or 100, Lord, we may be carrying around hurt from pains of divorce. And Lord, I just ask that you would heal, Lord, that you would be near to the brokenhearted. Lord, that you would just be faithful to your people this morning. Church, I ask if you're willing that you'd pray for yourself and pray for me in this moment. Lord, that the, that the Lord would use this for your good and for his glory. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, and he, that's Jesus, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. 
And again, as was his custom, he taught to them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? All right, so just to recap, when we left off our series of Mark in November, Jesus has been teaching in this area known as Capernaum. And our text today says that they are in a region known as Judea. So what's taking place here, if you were to look at a map, Jesus is actually moving towards Jerusalem, to the place where he will be betrayed by his friends, where he will be arrested by the religious leaders, and ultimately be crucified by his people. So Jesus is moving with intention towards Jerusalem in order to fulfill his purpose of coming to earth, and that is to be crucified, and that is to be raised to life in order that people will be saved by grace through faith in him. And so, as was his custom, the text says, he's teaching this crowd of people, as he did everywhere he went. And while he's teaching, these guys, the Pharisees, came up to him. If you remember, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're supposed to care for the spiritual uh, well-being of the Jews. And throughout our walk through Mark, we are constantly seeing these Pharisees always in conflict with Jesus. Everywhere the Pharisees are and everywhere Jesus is, there's friction. And here again, the text says, they came to speak with them. But they came not to just like, you know, the civil discourse I talked about in the intro. That's not on their minds. They're here to test Jesus. And they ask him, is it lawful, is it allowed for a man to divorce his wife? So before we jump into Jesus' response, I'd like us all to just get on the same page about something. Marriage is a gift to the world. Christian marriages are to be used as platforms to not elevate ourselves, but to elevate Jesus. The gospel is then proclaimed through Christian marriages. In marriage, we are called to love and sacrifice for one another the way that Christ has loved and sacrificed himself for his bride, the church. So I don't want to minimize or isolate singles in this room. Singleness is not meant to be oppressing because we're all designed for the worship of God in whatever season of life that we're in. So if you're single, man, maybe like consider this potential future training ground for you for potential future marital conflict just to have this nice handy tool in your tool belt, if you will. So the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so Jesus responds to their question. Verse 3, he says, it says, he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So Jesus says, what did Moses say? And why does it matter what Moses said? Moses is the one in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, he led the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land. Moses in the Old Testament is an incomplete yet prophetic sign that points to Jesus as the Messiah. He received the law from God and communicated to the people. He was a prophet and a leader of the Jewish nation. And what we see in the New Testament is Jesus is the true and better Moses. But at this point in our story, this point in the Gospel of Mark, the people have yet to make that connection. So it matters what Moses said because in referencing back to Moses, in referencing back to the Old Testament, Jesus is affirming the whole of Scripture. 
Devante pointed something out to me this week that I thought was really insightful. There is this thought that's common around culture, common around the discussion of God and church, that the God of the Old Testament is a harsh and a condemning and an unloving entity that must be appeased. Like the angry God argument, if you've ever heard that before. And Jesus, on the other hand, is the kind and gentle God of the New Testament. And that's just not accurate. God is unchanging in nature and character. And so the fact that Jesus is referencing all the way back to the Old Testament, a couple thousand years from its time it's been written... It means that it does, in fact, matter, and the scriptures are, in fact, useful and should still be followed. Because Moses' words, as the voice, as the intermediary to the people of Israel, are from God. So his words have authority because Moses spoke with God. So what Moses said is what the Jews would try to follow because what Moses said is what God said. And according to the Pharisees in verse 4, they said, Moses allowed divorce with a certificate. And this may seem a little harsh or a little off-putting, but here's what we see in the Old Testament, specifically in the writings of Moses. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 is the only place in the Old Testament where divorce terms are spelled out. Prior to Moses' time, a man could just divorce his wife with a mere word. So with the certificate being, in, being referenced, there's actually some built-in protection for this helpless wife. The husband had to go to the trouble of getting a bill of divorce drawn up and had to have a witness there and then formally present this certificate to his wife. It just is preventing, like, easy divorce. Like, this idea that I can just divorce you because I want to divorce you. That idea had been so prevalent before Moses, and it's also super prevalent in our culture. And Deuteronomy 24.1 says that the husband has found, it could happen because he's found some indecency with his wife. So just to continue to unpack this a little bit, there were these guys known as rabbis. They're Jewish teachers of the law. Um, And out of that, you'd have, like, different sects of rabbis. So there were two major rabbinical schools. You had two different interpretations of this verse. You had the conservative school led by this guy, Rabbi Shammai, who only allowed for divorce when it came to matters of marital infidelity. And then on the more liberal side, you had this guy named uh, Hillel, who said that an indecency was anything that made the husband unhappy even if that meant his wife burnt his dinner. So this question, who can divorce his wife, this question is important for the readers of Mark because by the time that Mark's letter was getting distributed amongst Christians in Rome, divorce was so easy and so prevalent, and the temptation for Christians then and now is to get influenced by the society and the culture in which we find ourselves in. So the question we should ask ourselves in everything, not just in marriage, but certainly within marriage, is this. Are our ideas of marriage, are our ideas of divorce, or parenting, or money, or anything else, 
Are we getting our ideas, are we getting our understanding primarily from the Word of God and filtering everything else through what God has revealed? Or are we getting our ideas of marriage and divorce and etc. from the culture and filtering God's Word through the lens of what the culture has said? For me, specifically on matters of divorce, man, I just want to land where Jesus lands. And I want to land where the scriptures land. So look at how Jesus responds to them. Verse 5, it says, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. So rather than entering in this unfruitful debate with the two rabbinical schools, Jesus is just affirming God's original plan for marriage. A lifelong, monogamous, committed marriage between one husband and one wife. So divorce, the ending of a marriage, exists because sin exists. And this statement that Jesus makes about hard-heartedness should not be interpreted as only hard-hearted people get divorced. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he's saying is that in our sin, all of us are rebellious towards God's ideals, and that includes within marriage. We are all hard-hearted people in some ways and all prone to sin against God and others in some pretty serious and significant ways. Wayne Grudem, he's an author and theologian who I depended on very heavily for my prep this week, says that hard-hearted people will cause harm to others. And that is certainly true within marriages. Therefore, Moses allowed for the other spouse, the non-hard-hearted spouse, Moses allowed for a partial remedy for the harm being done in that marriage. However, Jesus says from the beginning, when God ordained the first marriage in Adam and Eve, the design was never intended to be cruel or oppressive or retaining, but the two individual whole distinct people, man and woman, were to be joined together and become one flesh. And Jesus is also affirming the confines of marriage as a heterosexual marriage only here. Listen, the story of the Bible is a marriage story. The reason that God takes Christian marriage so seriously is because the, the, the story of the gospel, it represents our relationship to him. The story of the gospel is the story of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, loving his bride so much that even at her worst, he pursues and loves to the point of dying for his bride. That is the type of love and commitment that Christ is calling us to within our marriages. Ephesians 5.25-27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Mark 10, 10 and following, it says, And in the house 
the disciples asked him about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Matthew tells the same story. And Matthew 19.9 says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Mark leaves out this exception clause that Matthew includes. Most commentators agree that Mark didn't feel like it was necessary to include it, uh, like the except for sexual immorality part, because it was already an accepted position within culture. Even the conservative rabbis would agree that if a someone has committed sexual immorality, then, then there's divorce is an option. And Mark is not one to waste words. He typically just gets directly to the point. So we have to deal with this issue of adultery here. But before we jump into that, I want to take a look at another passage of Scripture. Jesus says that divorce is an option only in cases of adultery. The Apostle Paul adds a second reason. It's helpful to look at other passages of Scripture that deal with the same subject to help us in our understanding of what what God is instructing us in. Keeping in mind that all of Scriptures are authoritative for us as believers, we can accept both Jesus and the apostles' teachings in the Bible because they don't contradict one another. So Paul says this. If you want to flip over, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7. Hang a, I don't know, hang a right in your Bible. Go towards the maps. I had to look. Is this left or right? Um, yeah. So 1 Corinthians 7, it'll be on the screen, beginning in verse 10. It says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if... Any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Okay, so the second reason that Scripture allows for divorce is for desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Just to unpack this a little bit, Paul also says, don't divorce your spouse. Verse 10, he says, that is a charge from the Lord. Stay married. Verse 12, he says, this is his charge. The Apostle Paul, not the Lord. As an apostle with authority, he says, If you are a believer who is unequally yoked in marriage, meaning a Christian who has married a non-Christian, if you are married to someone and he or she is an unbeliever, do not seek to get out of that marriage. Rather, you should pray for the salvation of your spouse. Verse 15 gives us an exception clause to the don't divorce your spouse rule. Paul says that if a brother or a sister, meaning a a believing husband or a wife, he says they're not enslaved. If they're abandoned by their spouse or deserted by their spouse, they're not enslaved. Grudem talks about this in two ways. He says you're not enslaved to your marriage partner that has abandoned you. And you are free to marry someone else. 
God therefore releases the believing spouse of twin, lifelong, unending stresses. Number one, the stresses are this. Number one, a lifelong vain hope of reconciliation with an unbeliever who is left. Number two, a lifelong prohibition against enjoying the good blessings of marriage again. So there are two instances that are firmly and explicitly stated in Scripture. Sexual immorality from Jesus, desertion from the Apostle Paul. And Paul's asserting here that desertion of one spouse is just as damaging as sexual immorality within a marriage. The couple is no longer living together, no longer acting as a husband and a wife. The unbeliever is completely beyond the reach of any church discipline. And if there seems to be no possible hope for reconciliation, then divorce is allowed. So therefore, there are two directly stated biblical grounds for divorce. Now, if I could take a couple pastoral liberties, uh, I would like to take us down just a brief rabbit trail based on my reading and my studying as to what I believe may be a few other exceptions. This is, these are the open-handed things I was talking about earlier. This is where I've landed on the issue of divorce. And this is the view that I'm holding with some very extremely open hands. I really want to honor the Lord in my interpretation of Scripture. I really want to serve you all as members of the church that I pastor. So let me give you a few things. When Paul says, speaking of abandonment in this uh, 1 Corinthians 7 passage, in verse 15 he uses the, the phrase, in such cases. This phrase does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It could be limited to only abandonment. But many scholars would say that this phrase, in such cases, leaves room for a few other things. So let me tell you what I believe these few things are. Actually, let me say this first. I'm not going to say that in every case, these, I'm going to call these these extra things. I'm not going to say that in every case where these things are present, that divorce should be considered. But I am saying... I can see some merit based on what I know to be true about the church and the heart of God for his people. And if you disagree with me, that is okay. I'm still working these things out for me as well. These are my opinions currently based on my study of scripture. So again, I want to submit there can be some civil discourse here. So here are my, here are my exception clauses. Abuse of a spouse or children. If you're forced to flee from your home due to clear and present danger in order to protect yourself or your kids, I'd submit to you that this is akin to desertion because this has caused a necessary separation. And abuse is as damaging as desertion or sexual immorality. In cases where the abuser is unwilling to repent and seek help and create a safe and loving home for all who live there, if you, as a wife, are unsafe in your marriage, divorce to me seems like a legitimate option. This is included, but not limited to, ongoing physical, sexual, verbal, or relational cruelty. So that's one. The other thing I would say is addiction. But not just addiction, just addiction accompanied by 
consistent, ongoing, lying, and damaging behavior to the marriage, including but not limited to theft and violence. I think those would be credible reasons for, for divorce. Addictions ranging a spectrum from drugs, alcohol, gambling, sexual addictions like pornography. And like abuse, if this is accompanied by willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin, this may be another form of uh, desertion and abandonment. Perhaps not in a physical sense, right? Like you can be physically present, but not be there emotionally or materialistically or any other way. And I would say that if you divorce because of these things, I, not Jesus or the Apostle Paul, this is based on my opinion, I would say that if you divorce based on abuse, abandonment, addiction, sexual immorality, then you are free to remarry. That's not a universal view in Christendom, but it is a view that some hold. And I would say this because the Apostle Paul says, you are not enslaved. Marriage is meant to be a gift. So why wouldn't God want us to rightly enjoy his gifts? And here's what else I'll say. Not all of these things should lead to divorce. And I'll tell you why in a moment. I do want to make a brief aside here real quick. Divorce in our culture is way too common and way too easy. So before you start down that road, I want to encourage you with a couple of things. Number one, I would ask you just to consider the damage that that relational break will cause. Consider the damage to generations that divorce can cause. And I don't say this to trap you. I don't say this to keep you in a harmful situation for you. But just to really consider if this is indeed beyond reconciliation. The other thing I would say is seek wisdom. And this is not just in marriage, this is in everything. Seek wisdom. It is not okay to divorce because marriage is hard, because it is. It is not okay to divorce because you're not getting along with your spouse, because you won't always. It is not okay to get divorced because you want to marry somebody else. The Bible does not allow for that. So find someone in your life, your pastor if you trust that guy, or a good Christian counselor, or your community to speak into the heart. Man, I'll also say this. We are going to be a safe haven for the abused. If you are being abused... We need to get you out of that situation. The church is willing to fight for you. We are willing to fight on your behalf. And we will go to the greatest extent possible for your protection. If you need help, we want to help you. I am willing to do whatever it takes to protect you and your kids from an abusive spouse. This is a safe place for you. If you don't believe me, one time I tried to break up a fight between two strangers outside of a Chili's <laughs> wearing just Birkenstocks and like cargo shorts. It was not a good look, um, but I did it. Anyways, I'm for you. That's, that's what I want to say. So now here's the most important thing that I can tell you this morning. I shouldn't have told that joke. Now you're not even listening to me. You're just... Thinking about the Birkenstocks. 
All right, back to me. <laughs> Marriage is meant to be a lifelong covenant between two people and God. Therefore, before divorce is on the table, you must do everything you can to reconcile your marriage. In cases of infidelity, in cases of abandonment, in cases of abuse, in cases of addiction, God's first goal is reconciliation. I know that this is true because of the cross of Jesus. Scripture calls the church the bride of Christ. Uh, he calls us into relationship with him. And we, in our sin, are a representation of a faithless bride. We are the unfaithful spouse against the bridegroom, Jesus. And yet, he still pursues and pursues and pursues with a great love at an extreme cost to himself. He loves us and he pursues us when we are the most unworthy and most unlovable. What wondrous love is this? Man, that is the type of love he asks for all of us as well. That we would love one another in the way that he has loved us. That we would love one another when we sin against one another. When our spouse is unloving to us, we love them and we forgive them. And look, this is not an excuse for them. Like when I'm a jerk to my wife, this is not an excuse. This is not an invitation for us to be selfish and sin against our spouses. But this is an invitation to practice the humility of Jesus. We are not to repay evil for evil. When we sin against other believers, we are sinning against Christ's beloved bride. And listen to me, he is not impartial to the sins done against his bride. Divorce does not honor Christ. And I want to be really careful here. I don't want to heap shame and guilt and judgment on you for if that's part of your story. So I'll follow that up by saying this. Your identity is not rooted in your relationships. If you're married in here, your identity is not found in your spouse. If you're divorced or divorcing, your identity is not found in that struggle. It is not found in your failed or failing marriage. If you're single, your identity is not found in singleness. If you are in Christ, your identity is in Christ as an adopted son or daughter forgiven by the blood of Jesus. If you're in Christ, you are in Christ. When Jesus says, whoever divorces and marries another, except in cases of adultery and desertion, then you commit adultery. If you divorce for any unbiblical reason, I would tell you that I think based on the scriptures, you should remain single because it's not worth sinning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.11, to remain single or be reconciled. That is pretty black and white. The scriptures are clear here. If you divorce in an unbiblical manner and remarry, then you do commit adultery. And while that may be true, listen to me. You are not a constant adulterer. Meaning if you divorce in an unbiblical manner before you were a Christian, you're free from this. If you were a Christian who divorced and remarried in an unbiblical manner, I will tell you that... That was not what God had intended for you, but you too can be forgiven. 
Man, if this is you, repent of your sin if you haven't. And trust in Jesus' work for you. You are not living in a constant state of adultery. That is not the heart of God to you. Man, perhaps you made a mistake. You sinned just like the rest of us. And there is grace and forgiveness to you just like the rest of us. God gives us peace through forgiveness. And I do not want to cheapen grace at all. I don't want you to use my last sentence as a means to, like, get out. Like, I can be dishonest to Scripture and God will forgive me. That does not honor God. I'd implore you to stay in it, to stay in your marriage, to fight for your marriage. We want to help you pursue one another the way God intends for you to. So don't sin intentionally. Man, if you're remarried, I'd also say this. You don't need to separate from your current spouse and go and be remarried to your former one. That, in my mind, would cause a lot more unnecessary damage. You may, however, need to seek forgiveness from your former spouse. But that's between you and the Lord. You and your current spouse seek to live out the calling of your lives as Christ followers joined in the covenantal bonds of marriage and pray that the Lord would continue to bless you, bless your marriage, and serve him all the days of your life. Divorce is always ugly. Divorce causes hurt always. And divorce can be redeemed always for your good and for the glory of the Lord. So I want to end on a hopeful note here. It's sermons like these, there's always like some potential for fear and guilt and shame. And I don't want any of that for you. I'd also like to remind us that the gospel is very scandalous. It is scandalous because it's so counterculture to a lot of our fleshly and worldly desires. Meaning this, we like to be right. We don't want to be sinned against. Those of us that are married, even if we would classify our marriages as awesome, we probably saw some things going a little differently in our minds, right? But here's what I will say. Here's what I think a lot of us need to hear. If you have been in a marriage where you have been deserted and or your spouse was unfaithful in some way, I want to say to you first, I'm sorry. You don't deserve that. Because of Jesus, you deserve love and honor and dignity, and all of that belongs to you because you are in Christ. Because of the cross of Jesus, you are not damaged goods. You are loved and chosen before the foundation of the world by a God who is to be your first love, who sees you, who knows you, and is near to the brokenhearted. So I want to challenge you all with something. Because what I know to be true about Jesus, because what I know to be true about the cross, the cross completely levels the playing field. Meaning, at the foot of the cross, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. At the foot of the cross, we are all sinners first and then sinned against secondly. And Jesus sees us in our helpless, sinful condition and loves us anyways and forgives us anyways. The gospel says we can be forgiven, so now we can forgive. 
Because we have been forgiven, we can forgive our unfaithful spouses. Even if you're divorced, we can forgive our abusers. We can forgive one another. And listen, I don't want you to hear me say forgive in terms of just like get over it. But my challenge for you is to just really do the hard work of allowing the Lord to bind up your wounds and show you how much you've been forgiven in him. And may his kindness to you lead you to forgiveness. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. And man, if you're the unfaithful spouse in here, if you're walking a road of addiction, that is going to destroy you. That is going to destroy your marriage. And if you're hiding out in it, man, you will get found out. Man, so my encouragement for you is this. Just come clean now, today. Come talk to me in the back. Come clean. Confess your stuff to Christ. And if you're married and hiding out, confess your stuff to Christ and then confess your stuff to your spouse. Man, if you're single and walking this path too, the invitation for you is the same. Confess your sins and be healed. But none of us can do this alone. You need the body of Christ to help you along. Man, if you're an abuser, stop it. Like, stop it now. Repent now. We will go to extreme measures to protect the abused here. And look, there's grace for you, but you will not continue to go down this path and get away from it. Or get away with it. The Lord sees it, even if nobody else does. God sees it. The Lord knows, and the Lord is just. So repent. Let us help you. Confess your sins and be healed. Man, if you've been unfaithful in the past, in any way, I just want to speak forgiveness over you. Repent. Trust in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. The cross of Christ declares you not guilty. The cross of Christ declares you forgiven. So now you repent and seek forgiveness from those you have wronged. Dudes, it's hard work, but it is honorable work. So let us submit ourselves, our relationships, and our lives to Jesus and walk in grace and peace that he has provided. Let's pray.